I have a confession to make. I got really annoyed with somebody this week. Gasp. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. <laughs> None of you people. Just bad people. No. Um, yeah, I, I had a, an interaction. So it's funny. On Thursday, usually on Thursdays, I'll study and prepare my messages. That way I can kind of marinate on them a couple days and, and, you know, make changes or whatever as the Lord leads. But I had nothing at Thursday night. I had, I had read, I had studied, I'd underlined, I'd worked through the, the text, and I didn't have anything put together. I said these fateful words to either BJ or my wife. It was, I think it made it to both of you guys, but I, I said, you know what? The Lord must have something he wants to show me before I write this message. You know, when those come out of my mouth next time, you'll sit down, finish the sermon. <laughs> no, it was a good lesson to learn. So I, I went into an office and, and, you know, we passed that year point, that one year anniversary of everything kind of shutting down this last week. You guys remember that? So it felt like it was like 10 years ago, but about a year ago, it was this last week that the president was like, hey, we're canceling travel to Europe, and all these things started happening. I was watching a basketball game, and it got canceled mid-game, and then the NBA season ended that night, and I was like, what is going on? And then what do you know? You know, COVID has left its mark on us. In the last year, we've all had our patients, I think, tested at some point um, because of being restricted in ways that we're unfamiliar with. You know, people who live in other countries are used to these types of restrictions, but not us. And so as we've gone through these different phases, whether we've liked it or not, I think our patience has been stretched. And, you know, I, I'd like to think that I've handled it okay. And then Friday, I'm in an office. And, and it's an office where they have to temp, you know, do the little clicky gun thing. They point a laser at your head. And it's okay. And they get your temp. And then uh, the, the person says, Would you, can you read this, this little sign here? And I've read this sign tons of times with, if you have any of these symptoms, you can't enter here type thing. And I've read it, not kidding, multiple times, multiple weeks. Like I've read this sign a bunch and it's the same underlining. I know it. So looking, okay, I'm good. And he goes, please read the entire thing. I'm like, I have. And he's like, no, you need to read it right now in front of me. And I looked, I was like, I, none of it applies. And he's like, you can't come in unless you read. And so you guys already are like, Mm. And so I had, I had the opportunity. We're talking about meekness this morning. I had the opportunity to be gracious and to read it and be like, okay, it doesn't apply and, and just go on and, and let things lie. But no, Mr. Attitude showed up and I did this. <laughs> yep. Doesn't apply still. I was such a tool. I was such a tool to this guy. And he's like, you know, we could get inspected. So I was like, are you getting inspected right now? Can I go now, please? It's been a long year. We like to justify that attitude. And I even justified it to my wife as I was like, you would not believe what I had to go through this morning. <sighs> and as I'm sitting there, the Lord's like, blessed are the humble. And, and it just, it, that, cause I, you know, I, I try and chew on these beatitudes. Each one of them, I'm, you know, we memorized them with our kids in the past, but going through them again, they're just, they're bouncing around my head all the time. And I was like, blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek. We'll use those interchangeably this morning. It's the same Greek word pros can be applied to both. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, I am the least qualified person on this planet to teach this passage this week. And that's exactly where the Lord 
wanted me to be. To feel and understand that I am the least qualified person to talk about this stuff. And yet the message is clear and the Lord chooses to use instruments like us. God has chosen to use broken and flawed people like us to preach his truth. And so the instantaneous response on our part should be humility. When we recognize that we don't have it all together, that I could quote this all day long, but I failed and treated someone like trash because they were doing their job. Shame on me. Matthew 5, 5 is rendered either meek or humble. You could use gentle, considerate. We'll talk about why it's important, that word usage, as we get farther along. But contrary to what the world might think, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. How do we know that? Because Jesus was meek and lowly, and Jesus was anything but weak. He was anything but weak. He was the strongest human being to ever walk this planet. And so we have to understand or come to a better understanding of what being humble or being meek actually is. It's not just for those who are quiet and reserved. It's a position of heart that stems from a true view of oneself. It expresses itself in our attitudes and our actions, but it begins with a true view of who I actually am on the inside, a true understanding. And that means that meekness is for extroverts and introverts alike. It's not just for somebody that you look at and go, oh, they're just kind of quiet. Gosh, they are so meek. That's not necessarily true. Just because someone's quiet doesn't mean that they're humble. And just because someone's loud doesn't mean that they're not humble. It's an issue of heart. It's a matter that begins in the heart. Now, a lot of times, the louder people are easier to identify in their sinful tendencies because they won't shut up already. And it's, it's harder to distinguish whether someone who's naturally quiet is prideful because they just don't talk as much but it can still be there it's still a hard issue so this isn't something that's for extroverts or introverts interchangeable it's both it applies to both it expresses itself through our personalities when it's heart deep just some of those are easier to see so let's dig into the third beatitude that jesus gives us here in matthew 5 5 as we try to take a deeper dive on these beatitudes we're just going to do verse 5 this morning and it reads this way blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth what a fascinating statement. We'll get into the second half of this beatitude in a minute, but do you ever think about that? Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Earth inheritance is not something most people are really that interested in. They're into earth hostile takeover. They want to dominate. But to inherit the earth is to be given the earth. And that comes from someone who has more power than we do, yes? Fascinating stuff. If you... Have your Bible open. If you glance back a couple of verses, I want to notice this natural flow that comes from poverty and grief into humility. You know, it's easy for us sometimes to separate, especially if week by week we're going through the Beatitudes and we're kind of looking at them individually. I don't want to do the disservice to Jesus' sermon to separate these things from each other. Because those who are poor in spirit, who have poverty of spirit, basically recognizing 
their brokenness. They recognize their sin. And those who mourn in the second beatitude in verse 4, those are people who repent of that sin, who confess and repent unto God, turn to him and grieve sin in their lives and grieve sin in the world. They are people who will naturally flow into meekness. Because if somebody recognizes that I am impoverished in my spirit, that I don't possess anything that's of value outside of receiving something from God. And if I'm somebody who mourns in the brokenness of sin in my own life and in other people's lives, I will be a humble man at the end of that process. How could I be anything but? If the first two beatitudes have, have gotten into my heart, in the very depths of my heart, then the next thing that should come from me is an attitude of humility or meekness. It's what should flow from us naturally. That recognition and grief of sin begets humility in our hearts. If I've confessed and repented of sin in complete recognition that God is the only one who can save me from that sin, meekness is the product of that reality. It's not weakness to recognize that we have failed perfection. It's not weakness to recognize that we mess up and that we make mistakes. It's admission of fact. I'm admitting a fact. Fact, I am broken. And when we mess around with ourselves and we try to convince ourselves that we're not, pride is ruling our hearts. We have to be intentional about keeping Jesus' statement in Matthew 5, 48 in our minds as we study these Beatitudes. He's going to say later on, we'll get to it, in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's not joking around. Jesus is hitting us with hard truth. The command is to be holy. The command is to be perfect. Perfection is not the reward of those who try the hardest, nor those who hold the most sway or power in this world. Perfection isn't given to somebody who's just trying really hard. It's given to those who humbly receive it from Jesus. Leo Tolstoy. I don't know how many have read War and Peace. Boy, that was a slog. Leo Tolstoy, um, whose religious views were skewed and heretical touches on some truth and reveals also within that truth a common theological failure when he said this, perfection is impossible without humility. I agree. The next statement, I don't. Why should I strive for perfection if I'm already good enough? Now, he's making a a statement, right? I understand his statement that he's making. He's like, why should I strive for perfection if I'm already good enough? In other words, I have to recognize that I'm not good enough, that I'm not perfect, that I'm imperfect, but notice his word usage strive what's he striving for and who's he doing that like how how is he empowered to do so is he striving on his own or is he relying on the strength of god if you know something about tolstoy you know how twisted his theological beliefs were and so you know that he wasn't relying on the lord to empower him to this he believed a lot of things that i would have a discussion with and he would probably outwit me because he's a brilliant writer but that wouldn't make him right. <laughs> I tell myself that all the time. <laughs> Just because you're smarter than me doesn't make you right. Sarah's like, shut up. Yes, it does. It's true. Perfection cannot be achieved through pride or self-confidence. However, perfection also cannot be achieved through striving on our own. It's not a matter of try harder. Perfection is imputed from Christ and salvation is achieved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus. Amen. That is how perfection is achieved. It's achieved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. That's how we're given the righteousness of Christ. 
And when we recognize that we have nothing to offer that is of any value to this world outside of what he pours into us, we become amazed. When we recognize that I have nothing to offer, I have nothing to offer him, then we recognize that we should be amazed that God and people can think of us as well as they do and treat us as well as they do when we're as much of a mess as we are. How often do we feel like we're not being treated fairly? How often do we feel like people aren't respecting us to the level that they should? Now stop for a minute. In those moments, am I correct? Do I deserve to be respected by people? Do I deserve to have all this admiration? Well, if they really knew what I was worth, (laughs) they probably wouldn't talk to me. (laughs) Right? You guys, we have such a high opinion of ourselves. If we really look at the way the world is, and if we look at how we are inside of our hearts, we should be amazed that God even thinks of us. It should bring us to this place of why would he ever save a wretch like me? And then we go to the scriptures. And God, because of his great love for us, sent his son. Because he loved us based upon his own character, not because we were so special, but because he is love. When we see the beauty and the value in that, I'm not trying to validate myself anymore because he loved me while I was still a sinner. And while I was still a sinner, that's when Christ died for me. And that's when he died for you. And when I grab hold of that and realize that it's not based on my merit, there's a lot of peace there. There's a lot of joy there. And it makes us gentle, humble, sensitive, and patient in our interactions and attitudes, not only towards God, but towards others. If I recognize my wretchedness and how broken I am and that God still loves me, that God still saved me, how much does that shift the way that I see other people in the office when they ask me to read a sign? I stop looking at them through the lens of my own impatience and I start seeing them through the lens of his grace. That's what meekness begets. So who are we in here? This is where we return to root out the truth as to whether we have been representing Jesus well or whether we have been failing him in this way, church. Who are we in here? It's not what we're doing out here. It's who we are in here. Does it matter what we do? Yeah, what we do matters. It only matters if it's coming from what's within. It cannot be production. It cannot be hypocrisy. We can't be whitewashed tombs. We start with humility and brokenness within, and then we let the Lord work that goodness out of us. Jesus is speaking about heart-deep issues that will manifest physically, not physical manipulation that we are trying to fake until we feel. I'm just going to fake it until I feel it. That's outside in. I was told that by a a youth leader once on a trip. Fake it till you feel it. I understand the mentality. If you're from the generation that kind of propagated that, I understand what you're trying to do, but I don't think it works because that's not how Jesus worked. That's not how Jesus worked. He started from within and worked it outwards, not starting from outwards, working it from within down into the inner core. It's that, it's that old saying that you see people who talk about the brain studies. Just, you, if you win the heart, you get the mind. It doesn't work the other direction. If you intellectually master somebody in the mind, that doesn't mean you get the heart. 
but you win the heart, you get the mind. That's why Jesus went straight for the heart. That's why all throughout scripture, he's getting to the heart of the issue. It's why in 1 Samuel 16, 7, we're reminded humans do not see what the Lord sees for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. God wants the heart of a man. He didn't look at a liar. We've talked about this over and over at the beginning of these, these beatitudes. He didn't want a lie of the oldest son of Jesse who looked the part of the king. He wanted David who was out with the sheep who had the heart of a king. Eliab looked the part. David had the heart. David had the heart of a ruler because he loved God. He was close to the Lord. As you look at the first two Beatitudes, kingdom of heaven given to those who admit guilt. Comfort or forgiveness given to those who grieve sin's effect on their own lives and others. And those who are humble in heart or meek, they inherit the earth. They're the ones that inherit the earth. It kind of sounds opposite of what we see in our world, doesn't it? It's very opposite of what we see. Opposite of world powers, world rulers, rich people, Hollywood, whoever it is you look up to. The powerful ones are the ones who gain control. The wealthy and the arrogant are the ones who get ahead. And oftentimes, those who are humble don't even get what they're due. Looks like they get steamrolled, doesn't it? Like those who are being humble and doing things God's way just get run over. And how many of us have cried out, it's not fair. My kids say it all the time. That's not fair. And what what do we say as a good parent? Life isn't fair. Right? You're like, thanks. That's encouraging. Instead of giving them a godly perspective, I like that one-off statement. You know, like, life isn't fair. Pick up your room. You know, like, it's just boom. Just get it done. I don't care that I'm not being fair. You guys, we get frustrated when we see that because we view fair in a very skewed manner. We're seeing it from the wrong perspective. Fairness is hell. Fair is hell for human beings. What have we been given in Christ Jesus? Sin, salvation, grace, salvation, mercy, forgiveness, all of that, right? So we are way, 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 way above fair already. How do we view ourselves? I deserve to be ruling, right? I need to be in charge of more. If people really understood what I could do, they would fill this room. You guys, you're like, Mike's a jerk. Yes, that's what I'm trying to get across. That's pride. That's what the Lord's trying to get out of me. It's what he's sucking out of me all the time. It's like, ah, why do I treat people like this? Why do I think those thoughts? Do you guys ever think that way? You're like, where did that come from? God's like, it's been there. Let's deal with it, right? You guys, because we have suffered for doing things the way God has told us to, sometimes we feel like that's unfair. I am suffering for the name. You know, like, you're in America. You're not suffering for the name yet. You know, like, you wouldn't believe it. My coworkers, they don't like me. They mistreat me. You guys, we're, <laughs> it's true. It, we're, we're not like, we're not being persecuted for our faith yet. Not yet. It could come. But here's the thing. Even if we were, even if we were physically abused for our faith in Jesus, Isn't that what Jesus told us to expect? 
He told us to expect that. He didn't say, now, for those of you who truly love me, get ready for some riches. Don't listen to those guys that are preaching that garbage. That's not what Jesus promised. That's not what he promised at all. He promised that if we store up our treasures in heaven, that's where true wisdom is. Not here. Not here. If you look at it, you're like, well, let's look at the example of Jesus' disciples, shall we? How rich were they? Poor, martyred, abused. Why? Because they counted the things in this life as worthless compared to the calling that God had given them. They valued the soul over the possession. They valued human salvation over what they could gain in this life. How did Jesus handle these things? How did Jesus represent meekness? We could look at all kinds of examples of meekness. Moses was a meek man. Some people are like, yeah, he wrote that about himself. Be that as it may, Moses was a meek guy. Okay? Abraham was messed up. You can look at some examples of meekness, and you can also see examples of how those guys royally messed up. But if you want to see an example of meekness from someone who never messed up and was perfect as God is perfect, Jesus is your, is your guy. Jesus is who you want to look to. He did it perfectly. So how meek was Jesus? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians 2. You'll be familiar with this text, but hear it through the ears of humility. How did Jesus model humility for the church? Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. This is who you want to be. This is the attitude you want in this life. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. In other words, he didn't value being equal with God more than being identified with humanity. We've talked about this before. How, what was the term that Jesus used for himself more than any other and almost exclusively? Son of man. He identified with human beings. Perfect. He was never sinful. He never sinned, but he identified with human beings. Instead, he emptied himself, verse 7 says, by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. When he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. If you could take verses and say, this is what humility or meekness looks like, that's it. It's what Jesus did. And that's how we're called to live. That's the challenge for us, church, is to be Christ-like in this way, emptying ourselves even to the point of death. Is that how the church identifies itself today? Or is it the coolest logo? Or is it the best product? Or is it the most fantastic light show? What is it that identifies the church as being the church of Jesus Christ? Is it being emptied to the point of death? Because we like to talk about it. But if we don't have humility of heart, if we don't have meekness, we're not going to see an authentic Christianity coming out of our lives. We're going to see better clothing. We're going to see the garb of Christianity rather than the product of Christianity, which comes from within. God exalted Jesus because of this, because of how he lived. But in this life, Jesus was our ultimate example of what meekness, not weakness, what meekness should look like. It's courageous and courteous at the same time. It's boldness and it's gentle. It's righteous and it's merciful. Do you ever notice how well balanced God is and how some people like either or, but not both? We struggle with this too. I say some people, and I'm like throwing it out there in this cloud over the room, right? We 
like certain aspects of God more than others. Some of us are real big fans of the justice of God, but we're not too into the mercy. We want it for ourselves, but not for the people that we want justice on. It's true. Some of us are really into the grace of God and and we're not really too into holiness. You know, I just want grace. Why? Because I just want to know that he loves me. He does. So knock it off. That's what Paul said. He goes, should we sin more so that grace should abound more? Romans 6, 1. He goes, certainly not. Paul wasn't soft on sin. Read his letters. He faced it. He dealt with it. It's why I've said it over and over again. We're going to preach repentance of sin here. I'm recognizing it in my own life in fresh ways. Hey, look at that. That's crud. The Lord turns a new page for me all the time, not because I'm this bottomless pit of gross, but because he is sanctifying me. He is cleansing me of these things. I want to set this stuff aside. I want to love his righteousness and his mercy at the same time. He's all of these things. And just as Isaiah said in in Isaiah 53, 12, Therefore, I will give him, Jesus, the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. What did Jesus do? Think about that messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53. Hold up a second. This this was prophesied way before Jesus came. God says, I will give him the many as a portion. Who are the many? Those who believe in him. The many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil. No one will stand against him. Because he willingly submitted to death. Willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Did you catch that last statement? Jesus interceded for the rebels. I don't stand against people. I'm to intercede for them. And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, my message as an ambassador is be reconciled to God. That is our message. That's our goal. That's our calling is to preach that. As Jesus received this inheritance from God, when we live according to his example, We inherit the blessing that God gave to Jesus. Wait, what? Romans is hard-hitting, by the way. If you really want to get deep into biblical theology, read Romans over and over again. Romans hits hard. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17 says this. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And indeed, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. How do we inherit the earth in Christ Jesus as co-heirs? Jesus is preaching straight biblical theology. Our inheritance is in Jesus. We can't get caught in striving for our inheritance in flesh and physical, in wood, hay, stubble, anything that can be taken away, anything that can be burned on this earth. Stop trying to invest in these things and invest in the kingdom of God, which nothing will destroy. We read that in Daniel, remember? The stone that comes and strikes the foot of the statue, all these kingdoms of men, they crumble to the ground and are forgotten, and the stone remains forever. 
And God says, this is the work of my son. This is the work of the kingdom of my, say, my son, the Messiah, Jesus. It will stand forever. His kingdom will never fail. It will never crumble. The psalmist understood the importance of keeping these things straight. He saw the godless boasting and throwing their weight around, yet real possession eludes them. It's that, that old uh, statement by that billionaire. They said, how much more do you need? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more is all I need. That's the mindset of people who are worldly minded. Do you ever notice it doesn't matter how much stimulus you get, it's still not enough? Boy, I tell you what, if that third round comes, then we'll be okay. Finally, finally we'll be okay. We've had this conversation before. I have bared my life to you guys. We all know things are about to break, right? They are sending stimulus. I was like, are you going to send it back? No, because something's going to break and something big from the looks of it, right? Because it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough money. It'll never be enough position. It'll never be enough power. It'll never be enough prestige. You'll never be famous enough. It's not enough. We cannot boast and throw weight around like the world because real possession eludes their grasp because everything that people in the world take hold of in this life can be taken away from them. Everything that we're grasping so hard, everything that we've worked so hard for because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So are we receiving that free gift and doing things that are investing in heaven, investing in his kingdom? Are we trying to get what we can get here so that we can have stuff that we can't even take with us? Psalm 37, 8 through 11, the psalmist writes, Refrain from anger, this is David, and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Boy, words of wisdom for my week. Why are you upset? It's only going to do harm. You are right, sir. He says in verse 9, for evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. They'll inherit the land. You realize that the nation of Israel is already in their land, right? But it's a picture that they would understand from their history that God is going to give them an eternal possession. And that will be fulfilled in Christ. A little while, verse 10, he says, and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there, but the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Did you notice a similarity in Psalm 37, 11 with beatitude number three in Matthew 5, 5? But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. Jesus is taking us back to Old Testament teaching and expanding it. He's opening it up. He's explaining it further. Church, it's not about what we possess physically. It's not about the position we hold. The way of the Christian is not to be paved by earthly possessions, but rather to agree with Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.10, a passage we probably don't like to agree with very much. As God's ministers, we patiently endure everything, recognizing that we associate with Jesus in struggle, that we share in his reward through inheritance. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6.10, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. 
Church, if we can come to that last statement, it's all good. But if we can come to that last statement and say, I can own nothing and yet possess everything, then I finally humbled my heart correctly. I'm finally in the place where God can use me the way he wants to when I recognize that I can have everything and own nothing. Self-renunciation, to deny oneself, is the way we exalt Jesus. It's not self-deprivation. It's not pity parting. I'm just terrible. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Tell me I'm great. You know, how many people are like, I'm the, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I'm awful. I can't do anything right. Oh, yes, you can. Be a good friend. You are absolutely correct. You can't do anything right. <laughs> you need Jesus. I'm not, I'm not saying like beat people. Okay, you guys, you don't understand what I'm saying. You're like, Pastor Mike told me to tell you that you're trash today, <laughs> right? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. Don't be someone who self-deprivates. When we self-renunciate, when we deny ourselves, isn't that where Jesus told us this whole thing started? If any man would come after me, he must deny himself. Self-renunciate, church. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my possessions. It's not about me getting what makes me happy. We exalt Jesus and we inherit the earth through him, with him as co-heirs, when we recognize that we can be happy and that we can be filled with joy and that we can possess nothing and yet have everything. Because the meek are the ones who are blessed. How baffling to the world. The ones who are humble are blessed, not the prideful not the powerful. Praise be to God for that. Praise be to God for his truth. As we think about those who self-renunciate, being the ones that bring glory to Christ, I really wanted to share communion with you guys this morning and just remember that it's through his sacrifice that we possess this inheritance that we have an inheritance that we do not see in heaven because of what he did. So as the worship team comes up, I'm going to invite um, whoever's going to distribute communion. Go ahead and grab the elements. And I just want to read this passage of scripture to you guys this morning, and then we will um, distribute the communion and um, hold on to it, and we'll take it together. But Paul said this on the night when he was betrayed speaking of jesus he says he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said this is my body and it's for you he says this is my body this is for you do this in remembrance of me and paul says in the same way he also took the cup and after supper and he said the cup is the new covenant in my blood for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes Paul goes on to encourage believers to examine themselves in that passage. He says, examine yourselves when you take communion. This is important. And you guys, as we distribute the elements and as we consider this, we're going to sing for a minute. I just want us to take some time before we take communion together to ask for forgiveness of the Lord. To humbly ask for forgiveness. He's right here. He's not wanting to beat you down with your sin. Scripture tells us clearly in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God is waiting to cleanse us if we confess and repent to him. So do that. 
in your own heart. I'm not even going to make you come up here and tell us what you did. In your own heart. I mean, praise the Lord for that. You guys just confess sin to him. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to show you the next level of humility. Because Jesus is the one who can teach us about this completely. He can show us the fullness of humility. And so I want us to remember the Lord's Supper is an occasion for joy for the Christian community. Reconciled in our hearts with God and the body, we're receiving the gift of the body and blood of Jesus. Thank you. And receiving that, we receive forgiveness, new life, and restoration. We are receiving in this moment forgiveness and new life and restoration. Church, this is so much more than a piece of bread and a cup of juice. We are confessing sin, being forgiven of that sin, and he is pouring new life into us. Let's take that to heart. Hold on to the elements, and we'll take them together. But let's just take a moment to confess sin and just let the Lord uh, get this into our hearts.